He was tempted in every way just as we are. And when he intercedes for us, he's saying, Father, strengthen them. Open the eyes of their heart. Enlighten them. Remind them who they are. Tell them about that great, incomparable power that is dwelling within them. Strengthen them. Remind them of who they are. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. As you may be aware, our Pastor Richard Gibbons is uh, leading us in a series of sermons on the Apostles' Creed. And today, the scriptures come from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1 and verses 15 to 23. That's page 1818 in the Pew Bible. Paul writes these words, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exalted and exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and in every way. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Stanley, thank you for holding the fort while I was delayed downstairs. Now, as you know, we're working our way on Sunday mornings through the Apostles' Creed, and today we are coming to the section or the stanza entitled, He Ascended into Heaven and Sits at the Right Hand of God the Father. And the question uppermost in our minds, of course, is why is that phrase in the Apostles' Creed? What relevance does it have where Christ is seated today? Well, if you know your Bible, of course, you will know that the ascension of Christ is involved in the closing words of Luke's gospel. It begins the book of Acts. It is featured here in Ephesians with the apostle Paul. And of course, it's in the Apostles' Creed. And the question is, why is it there? Why is it of such significance? Couldn't they simply have said, 
rose from the dead, excuse me, the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Why do they select the phrase, and he sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Why is that so important? Well, let's go a little deeper. When the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, he is an elder statesman of the church. He's languishing in a Roman prison cell. He's been arrested for his faith. He's going on trial. He knew the folks at Ephesus reasonably well. He had lived and served there for three years. He left them in the capable hands of young Timothy. But it's been some time since he's heard anything about them. And then he gets an update. And he's writing in response to getting an update. And so he begins, verse 15 of chapter 1, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, please notice that when the Apostle Paul is writing his prayer for the Ephesians, he's not doing it out of what can we say, uh, courtesy or convention. In fact, if you look at your Bible, verses 3 to verse 14, there are 21 lines in an English translation. That is a single sentence in the Greek New Testament. And the Apostle Paul can't wait to write down all that's going on in his heart and mind and soul. He's excited and why is he excited? Because those first 14 verses focus on the love and grace and redemptive purposes of God and what it means to know Him and walk with Him and have intimacy with Him. All of that is contained in these first 15 verses, and he just pours it out in a single continuous sentence. The parchment, I can just see him writing and writing and writing. He neither pauses for breath nor punctuates his words. He can't get it down quick enough. And this prayer is anything but convention or courtesy. When you get into verse 15, he begins to highlight the specifics. For this reason because of God's great work of redemption. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he becomes very specific. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, let me ask you this. What is at the very top of your prayer list this morning? What is the number one thing you have been praying for over the last four or five or six weeks? For some, it will be children moving up from kindergarten after the summer into school. Others, of course, your children have graduated from high school. They're going up to college after the summer. Some, of course, have graduated from college and are now moving into the workplace, and you're excited about that. What is the number one thing on your prayer list? And why is it the Apostle Paul prays specifically in the way he does? He doesn't pray for their overall blessing or protection. 
He doesn't pray that all will go well in the life of the congregation. Look at, again, what he says. I keep asking, for what? That the glorious Father may give you a spirit of, and here it comes, wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Why wisdom? Why revelation? Because what Paul is praying is this. He's praying for the Ephesians. Father, enable them to get to know you better. Because when they get to know you better, you will inevitably give them wisdom for everyday life. You will reveal to them your guiding hand and your purpose and your leading and your directing in their lives. And so the greatest prayer we can offer for anyone that they may know him better. Was that on your prayer list this morning? Has that been the thing that's been driving you and pushing you? Has that been the prayer request that you are passionate about, that you have that longing desire to know him better, to understand what he's doing in your life at the moment, why he has allowed this and that and the other in there? how He is enabling you to face the challenges and difficulties that lie before you, when you know Him better, when He reveals all that's going on, what do we do in return? Inevitably, we take all that we're wrestling with and lay them down in front of Him and say, Father, I can't deal with them, but I know You can. That's what's going on here. And now you're saying, Richard, I I understand that. I get that. Excellent point. I like all that Paul is saying here. But what on earth is that to do with the ascension? Where is the connection here? Well, it's coming. So be patient with me, please. And then in verse 18, perhaps some of the most endearing language to be found in any of the Pauline epistles. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What a phrase, the eyes of your heart. The heart in Scripture is described as the seat of the emotion. It's the heart that determines our motivation, our desire, who we are. It's indicative of our identity. May the eyes of your heart may be enlightened for what? Well, follow him again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, why is that important for this reason? Paul is saying, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened so you fully understand who you are who you are, that you're loved by Him, and not just a little. You're loved by Him for all eternity, and it's an outrageous love. And He loves us because He loves us because He loves us. Hear it, please. Because He loves us. And even though there are times we are tempted to think that when sin comes knocking at our door, 
and we give in to it, and we go through that sin, and we come out the other side, and we feel ashamed, and we go to Him, and we say, Father, I am so, so sorry. I am utterly ashamed. I have no idea why I continue to do this. Forgive me again. And then you're tempted to think He will not listen. He will not pay attention because he must by this stage be fed up with me. And the very opposite is the truth. He delights when we come to him. He cherishes those moments. You are precious to him, having sent his son into the world to die for you. He delights when you enter His presence. That's what's going on here. And that's why the Scriptures equip us to live in a real world, in a real 21st century setting. Paul was praying for real people with real struggles in a real setting, and we are the beneficiaries of it. Because when we understand all He has done for us and His consistent, faithful love, we're inclined towards running towards Him, not wandering from Him. And that's what Paul is saying here. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. That's what's going on. And then he takes it a stage further. And notice what comes next. If you think the prayer is becoming more powerful and more specific, it is a long way to go. And notice what happens next. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And here it comes. Folks, please do not miss the significance of verse 19 and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, there's a lot in there, so allow me please to unpack it, to break it down so it's a little more digestible. And also, do you see it? Not only does he pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you realize who you are and all that he has done for you, but he's also praying that you will understand the power of God at work in your life. Now, let me explain that, and it's this. And you've heard me say this multiple times over the last two or three years, but I am firmly convinced I need it in my own life and suspect Christians of every generation and culture need to hear this as well. The Apostle Paul is crystal clear. The incomparably great power is the same moral and supernatural power that brought Christ back to life from the dead lives in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Folks, please get that. Don't leave this morning missing that. The same moral and supernatural power that brought Christ back from the dead lives in us 
us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that important? It's important for this reason. Now, when sin comes and threatens to overwhelm us, and when we are uncertain about the decisions and the challenges that lie before us, who is it that equips us to face them? The incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we hang on to. And we freely confess, Father, there are times in my life I don't know how to live. There are times when I don't know how to respond to this particular challenge. There are times when sin is overwhelming me. But Father, I know this, that I cannot defeat it in my own strength because I have tried again and again and again and again, and I am defeated again and again and again. But with the Holy Spirit at work, when I stand back and say, Father, I cannot handle this. I cannot deal with it. Lord God, strengthen me, equip me, enable me, come alongside me, expose me again to your love and grace and your power, and let me live by the power of your indwelling Spirit. That's what's going on here. That's what makes it one of the great prayers of the Apostle Paul. And what a prayer it was then, and it's exactly the kind of prayer we need today. That's where equipping happens. That's what it means to be engaging with God. But the passage doesn't stop there either. It goes deeper again. And it goes deeper again because it now moves from the incomparable power of the Holy Spirit, and it moves immediately to the ascension. And for those of you who have been thinking, Richard, I'm not seeing much of the ascension in here, here it comes. And notice what Paul says. The, the power is like the, might, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, why does Paul say that? Why doesn't he simply say, and he ascended to heaven? Why is it important to spell out in detail, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father? Why is that important? Well, several things. Now, Christ gets to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty because of what he has accomplished and if you look at the creed, what is it that leads up to he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? It's his accomplishment. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. Then he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Because when we get the image of him sitting down, it is because he has accomplished all that God had given him to do. And all of the plans of God's redemptive purposes in the past come to fruition at Calvary. And then he sits down. It is finished. 
Those were the words from the cross. It is finished. It has been accomplished. The salvation of humanity is accomplished once for all. And he ascendeth to heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. How does that help us engage with life in a 21st century setting? Because it's been completed and you are His, and He has saved you from eternity past into eternity still to come, and you are His, loved by Him forever. Now, having said all of that, there are two more truths to look at, and then we'll wrap things up. The picture of Jesus sitting down also reminds us of this that when Christ goes to heaven, the act of ascension triggers the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again because I need you to get it. The act of ascension triggers the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why? For this reason. It's all to do with Christmas. Now, isn't that a strange thing to say? How on earth can the ascension have any bearing on Christmas? For this reason. When God, in all of His wonder and grace, divine in grace, divine in love, divine in forgiveness, God, in all of His transcendent glory, becomes a man. The two become one. And after his death and resurrection, and he goes back to sit with his heavenly Father in the heavenly realms, he does not shed his humanity. He holds on to his humanity, and he has his humanity eternally. And understand this, that because of his humanity, Spatially speaking, Jesus cannot be everywhere at the same time because of his humanity. He cannot be in Greenville and be in Nazareth and be in South Africa and be in Washington and Hong Kong and Moscow and Glasgow all at the same time because he has a human body. Remember when the apostles saw him ascending? I suspect they were sad. I suspect they were grieving. The person they had loved the most has now left them. They will no longer be aware of His presence. But remember, the ascension triggers the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes and He indwells people in Moscow and Zimbabwe and South Africa and China and Greenville and Glasgow, the Holy Spirit indwells all people in every culture, in every place, when an individual gives their heart and soul and surrenders their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within. Jesus could not do that because of His humanity. So when He ascends to heaven and He sits down, it is accomplished, and all that was accomplished is now applied by the Holy Spirit. You see the process? Redemption accomplished 
and then applied. And that's what's going on here. And finally, notice this, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. If you're taking notes this morning, write it down. Romans 8, 34 tells us this. Apostle Paul is writing in probably his greatest epistle. He writes this of Christ. He who was raised to life is now sitting at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He who ascended into heaven sits at the right hand of God Almighty, is interceding for us. Why is He interceding for us? Is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit somehow insufficient? Isn't that enough? What else is going on that it needs Jesus to intercede and pray for us? And why Jesus? Why not the Holy Spirit interceding for us? this reason. This is what I need you to take away this morning. That when He sits in the heavenly realms, He is praying for us for this reason, because He can say with authenticity and credibility, I know what you're going through. I understand the power of sin and temptation, and I understand its attractiveness, and I understand its appeal, and I have been there with you. And Hebrews makes it clear, and other passages in Scripture tell us the same principle. He was tempted in every way just as we are. And when He intercedes for us, He's saying, Father, strengthen them. Open the eyes of their heart. Enlighten them. Remind them who they are. Tell them about that great, incomparable power that is dwelling within them. Strengthen them. Remind them of who they are. That's why the Scripture enables us to engage with life in a 21st century setting because He is praying for us. And the next time you find yourself in a situation and you cannot cope and the water is getting up beyond your waist and up beyond your chest and it's getting up beyond your chin and you feel as if you are drowning, remember this. He is interceding for you and praying for you. And it wasn't enough just to give his life and have it accomplished. He continues to pray for you. That's why we say with one voice and one heart and one soul and one mind, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen? Amen. Thank God that he does. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture that has spoken so powerfully to us this morning. 
and enable us, please, like the Apostle Paul, to understand what it means to have the eyes of our heart enlightened, to grasp the incomparable power that you have given for us. Enable us, please, by your grace to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Richard Gibbons, and I'd like to invite you to join me for the trip of a lifetime. This September, I will be leading a tour to Israel where we will visit the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, Nazareth, Bethlehem, and of course, Jerusalem. If you would like to consider joining us this evening at First Presbyterian, I am hosting a time of questions and answers. For directions, visit the church website, and I look forward to welcoming you.